This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we are having a rather short podcast today because Danielle has COVID, as we mentioned last time. So we're going to keep yep. it kind of short because she's kind of feeling a little bit better, but not perfect yet. So I'm right? making dad do all the work and we are asking your question. Well, you, you guys and my dad are doing all the work because you're asking the questions and he's going to answer them and I'm just going to play them. It's great. All right. So we are obviously here for the, the, the goal of everybody learning how to be a good investor from the best investors in the world. And the idea basically is just copy the best people who are the best investors. That's it. How hard could that be to figure out that's what you should be doing instead of listening to financial advisors who haven't, you know, paid for their house yet or people who are, you know, running robo computers or who knows who you're listening to. Most of you aren't listening to anybody. You're just hoping things will work out. And the truth of the matter is in the future, we're, we're in the process over the next 30 years of, of running into a crisis. This is a 30-year, 20-year, I don't know how long year crisis coming. And I want you guys to learn to invest. And that's what we're doing on the podcast. So, okay, with that, let's Indeed. go talk about some questions. Okay, so this one is from Samir. And I also should say that my dad has not heard any of these questions. And I'm just playing them. So we'll see what we get. This is from Samir. Hello, Phil Town and Danielle Town. Um, I think you guys have a great podcast and I listen to it all the time. I just started not too long ago and I'm hoping I can get to all of them in the near future. Just got uh, 200 more to go, but we're getting there. Um, just wanted to see if you guys are willing to do a podcast on some insight about the marijuana industry, weed industry. Um, there's been a major bubble burst and, uh, there hasn't been much, uh, I guess you could say profitability just yet, but I was just wondering if you guys would think it'd be worth discussing on a podcast and, uh, maybe getting some valuable insight from you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Samir. So here we go. I'm, Samir I'm sounds thinking, very Canadian to me. I was saying the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. It's a big Canada, assumption. Of course. But let's <laughs> well it's not a ridiculous assumption given the the little accent there and the fact that we're talking about marijuana because Canada has approved uh marijuana dispensaries now and it's all legal. And so this industry is starting to grow. And of course this is one of the sin industries along with alcohol and and gambling and, you know, tobacco. So you you know, first thing you have to think about with the marijuana industry is is this fit your values? Are you are you proud to be the owner of a marijuana producing company? Um, and, and do you, you know, want it to grow and be massively successful? That right. kind of, you know, right. vibe. Are you excited for more marijuana to be out there? Right. So you don't want to just buy into things because you think they're going to make money and they're going to go up. Um, you want to buy into things that 
that fit your values. And the, the main reason there is because there is karma in the world. This is, this is the main reason, as I'm going to state emphatically, like as if I know. But I think there's karma in the world. And when you put in your money into something, you're supporting that thing in the world. And you are, you're making a very important vote for that set of values to be in the world, to be pushed upon your children and their children. And you want to feel good about that. You don't want to be like, oh, you know, one of these horrible tragedy tales of a family that owned the alcohol distributor and their children became alcoholics and died in a car crash kind of thing, you know, where, you know, you're, you're spreading a certain value into the world and you've got to be able to accept the karma from that value. So I think that's the first thing is, do you want to own a marijuana company? I got to tell you. In Colorado, where I moved, where I lived, sorry, my brain is still completely mushy, but I'm still going to try to say this, um, where I lived before moving to Switzerland, they were one of the, either the first state or one of the first states to legalize marijuana. And it has been fantastic for Colorado and having legit businesses selling pot has been overall like a really really good thing for the state it's been a good thing for the people it's going to been a good thing for law enforcement to not have to deal with tiny petty that petty uh small amounts of pot like it's just been overall a really good thing so i, I just agree. have to say that because you were very leaning on the negative side there of the values discussion and i 100 percent agree with you and i think that uh samir might feel totally fine about investing in a marijuana company, and I would um, completely understand that. Well, let me just say that my my view of values here was not meant to be one way or the other, just saying that you accept the karma of that stuff, and maybe you think that's negative or positive. But in terms of whether you like the company or not, the fact that it is producing revenue for Colorado and has legalized, you know, taken out of the dark alleys this sort of, uh, this sort of product I think is all to the good as well. Even even if I whether I support marijuana users or not, I I'm really in favor of getting these things out of the darkness, right? That people want to do, yeah. And and then deal with the consequences legally, rather deal deal with the consequences in the terms of social stuff, right? The interaction with health care and all that, rather than penalizing people for doing something they want to do, and um, and that doesn't mean I want to buy the stock. Fair right? enough. In other words, yeah. I, I I don't think it's a great idea to have, uh, you know, super sugary soft drinks out there like crazy. Doesn't mean I think they should be illegal, <laughs> right? I'm not going to go Bloomberg on you here. So I I, I think that you just got to make a values decision one way or the other, and that's up to you. And that's that's what's so beautiful about investing. And in, real investing is incredibly. Uh, values driven because it's ultimately about who you are, what your passions are, what you're really involved in, what you really care about. Those are the things that are gonna that you're going to continue to be interested in over your lifetime as an investor, and you you really want to stick to those things because otherwise, two things happen. First, you're going to be putting things in the world that you don't even want in the world, and that's as we said, kind of bad karma. And second, you are going to be sick of it. You're going to hate it. You're going to not want to, why would you want to have to own a business that you don't like or you're not interested in? So those are the, those are a couple of key things about marijuana. Now onward to the actual question, which is, are we going to do a whole thing on marijuana? 
The answer is probably <laughs> not. And the reason, and I'm just speaking for Danielle as well here, and I haven't even asked her about this, but here's the thing. It's a very new industry, and that means something real important to us as Rule One style investors who are who are baked into the Buffett Munger style of investing. And that is, we really need predictability. We've got to be able to buy this company when it's under distress of some sort. We call it an event, but it's basically a company that's in trouble, either because we're in a recession and everybody's in trouble, or the industry's in trouble, or is going through a cycle. There's got to be some reason to create fear around this business, around owning it. Sufficient fear that people are going to sell it off and get away from it. And to be able to go into an industry and buy that business when there's a lot of fear on the part of really smart people around that business, when the vast majority of people are bailing out of that business, you have to have a really high degree of confidence that this business is going to recover from whatever the problem is and be bigger down the road in 10 years. And to be able to do that with a new industry, with companies coming in scrapping for who's going to be the winner, uh, would be like going back to 1910 and trying to pick, you know, the car company that's going to be successful out of the thousand car companies that are building up around this new industry. So I can't play that game. I don't know how to play that game. So I am speaking for Danielle on this. She may have a different opinion. No, I totally agree. I do think it's inter it's an interesting thing to think about, like what time period would you analog analogize? Is that a word? Analogize it to? Would you compare it to? <laughs> <laughs> That's easier for me right there. Yeah. Uh, what period is analogous to the marijuana industry showing up and being run by public companies? And I wonder if maybe it's a little bit, I think this is a stretch, but I'll make the argument anyway, that maybe it's a little bit uh, similar to like early internet times when at the same situation, we didn't know who was going to win, but there were a lot of really interesting companies. I, of course, always think of Netscape and how everybody used Netscape and it was like right. the it company and it is gone, gone and quickly, quickly was gone. Yeah. But it would have been, I wish I had been an investor at that time because it would have been a good time to get in as things did start to shake out and the industry became more mature and it did become clear like, okay, these companies are probably going to stick around. I don't know if I would have been able to pick winners still, but um, what am I trying to say here? Watch well, the companies. You're, if you're, you're interested in them, watch the companies, watch the industry. The time is not wasted. And right. in a few years could be the time to um, to find a really great company. Well, that's, a really, and that's a really good insight. You just start studying if you really are into it, right? You're you're a smoker there, Samir. You get your your token, or you no, just Dad, really... edibles are the way to oh, go. You, like you don't edibles. That's what all these companies are doing. Edibles uh, are the way uh, to go. Yeah. And I think also I, I read recently that somebody's thinking about imbibing uh, liquids with the whatever the they're doing is. everything like yeah. Everything. So it, it won't be like sucking up your lungs anyway. So you're gonna you're gonna be part of this industry, and. Uh, what Danielle said is exactly right. Now's not the time to be picking something. You're going to be gambling and speculating. If you want to do that, go for it. But just know that you're doing it. You're not investing. There's no way to pick a winner right here. And um, unless you've got a crystal ball. So 
what you're going to do is study the heck out of this industry and understand the companies that are coming up. And as they start to acquire each other, as they start to consolidate the industry, as the big guys move into this, right, um, which they're already doing, right? Constellation Brands is moving in. It's a big beer guy. So as they're getting in there, um, you will have already gained a lot of knowledge in three or four years from now. Maybe if it's analogous to the internet industry, there was a big pile of companies coming into the search engine business. And then it got to be pretty darn clear that Google was going to be the winner here. And, um, yeah, I, I bought into Google. It came public around 87 bucks or something. I bought into it at about 200 when I finally realized what the business plan was and what a great moat they had. Um, but I had to use the product first. I had to actually get in there and start doing Google ads and understanding the whole scheme how they could profit, even though they were giving away all the things that Microsoft was trying to sell. And so it, it takes a while to really get to understand the business, but she's 100% right. Start now and be an expert in it. And when it consolidates, you will be in a position to buy into the companies that are the winners. And, and they're going to be big winners. It's, obviously, if you could pick the right one right now, that would be the time to do it. Because they're going, you know, the winner that's there right now will be going up, you know, hundreds of times what you're paying for it today. And you'd become very, 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 very rich. And the problem is the odds of picking it are, are pretty thin. And so you won't be able to put in any real money. And that's the game we play. We put in real money. We put in 10% of everything we've got into a business once we understand it well and know that it's getting a good price. So... Yeah, start start studying it now. You're going to be in good shape when the thing starts to really get to where you could pick a winner. All right, next one. Okay, I have a uh, another one that's kind of a follow on on that. So I think let's uh, we'll see if anything new comes out with this. And this one's from John. Hi, Phil and Daniel. I just want to say I really love your podcast. Um, just a, have a quick question. When I am looking for um startup company and they typically don't make revenues um what are the things that i am what i what are the things i should be looking for when i invest in startup companies um my example will be patriot one technologies um or is it better to wait until a company makes actual revenue so that i can apply rule one investing um thank you so much and i hope you guys pick me Thank well, you, John. I, love this question. I had to I had to throw that one in. <laughs> right. So our 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 okay, so here's the thing. We don't buy companies when they are just getting started. That's called venture capital. And it's wonderful. And I've done it in the past and it it's really fun to do. And if you want a great career, um, that's that's a great place for it because and Danielle has done if she wasn't feeling bad, I'm sure she'd be piping in right now because she's done a lot of work as an attorney at venture, for venture capitalists and startup companies. Getting getting all of their documents pulled together is quite quite a thing as you start bringing in capital. So that's it's a really fun industry, but it's not it's not the game we're playing. Um, that's a game where you're going to expect to have some big losers and a lot of companies that you sort of have to struggle to get your money back. And then you hope to have a few winners that make up for it all. We really don't do that. What we're doing is we're hoping, and we're expecting, not even hoping, we're expecting that out of our 10 companies that we're investing in, we're going to have 10 winners. 
And we go at it like that. And we're not investing with the expectation that some of these are going to fail. So um, we don't do venture capital. And then the next sort of level up is mezzanine capital or um, maybe angel investors, although those guys are venture capitalists too. Um, companies that are investing once this business is really demonstrating that it can produce revenue. And this is also not, not the investing game uh, because it's, it is highly speculative to be picking companies that just have revenue and have not yet become profitable um, or not even profitable have not yet because profits can be somewhat um, illusionary since you can have profit under accrual accounting and not actually have any cash. And what we're really looking for is companies that are producing cash flow and have done so steadily for years that are predictable. We can see where they're going to go and we're going to buy them, not when they're at their peak of, you know, of robust earnings and profits and free cash flow. We're going to buy them when they're getting hammered by something. We're going to buy them when this otherwise, you know, amazingly predictable company is the stock prices drop dramatically because COVID hit the market and the whole economy shut down. And now we can buy this thing on sale. That's when we're going to pounce on a business that we really understand and, and has a great deal of predictability to it. And the level that you're talking about is so much earlier than that. And while it's enormously fun and Danielle could, is an expert in it, having done tons of M&A and venture capital law, um, it isn't investing as we understand the term. So we're going to, we're going to pass on, on both of those times to come in and, and, and be an investor and remind you that the things that we're looking for are very, very specific in a business. And it's in, virtually impossible for the businesses at those early stages to produce these things. And the number one thing is not a problem so much for early stage. Do you understand the business? You can certainly do that, right? Number two thing gets very hard. And that is, do they have a moat? Are they in a, are they a business that has created something that is going to be durable for many, many years, um, that has a durable competitive advantage over its competition? And that's really tough to say for sure on, on startups. And the third thing is um, maybe something you could actually handle, and that is, does it have great management? You could be definitely having managers coming over that, that want to be on this new company and they've got great track records. So we could say, yeah, you could, you could defend the management, but you don't know for sure. And they don't have the management numbers behind them. You don't know what kind of return on equity because you have no return on equity. You don't know. And often there's enormous amount of debt that's being piled up as this company is trying to reach toward profitability. They got to be paying for that somehow. And it's either going to be, you know, equity capital diluting all the previous shareholders, or it's going to be debt, which puts you under, under potential of going into chapter 11 bankruptcy and failing completely. And, and so although we know we've got great management, we don't know if they're going to perform on this business. And then finally, the real killer here is that we want to buy it on sale and it's impossible. We don't, we don't have a single idea about what this thing is going to be worth in 10 years. And so we want to come in on sale and I'll tell you how venture capitalists do it. You basically say, okay, well, we'll put the money in based on, some enormous compounded annual rate of return, you know, I'm talking 40 or 50% a year is the expectation. And we're going to take a wild ass guess about where this company is going to be. And we're going to demand that much ownership of it. Um, and so, you know, you're just completely guessing about what to pay for this thing 
And the, I mean, you've probably read in the news what SoftBank is doing. They're just, you know, put a bunch of money into WeWork and it's just this disaster of over uh, pricing the business relative to any kind of reasonable value. And we see that more and more in private equity now as people are trying to get in on these deals. They're just pricing these things up in the moon. And so we just, we're going to end up with problems on steps two and four here. Yeah, we could be capable of understanding. Yeah, there could be some good management team in there, but hey, where's the moat here? Now, okay, let's say they've got some fabulous secret. It's a brand new business and it's a new thing and it's patented. And okay, you could claim a moat, but you're not sure, but maybe they've got it. But at the end of the day, how are you going to pay? What are you going to pay for this thing? And the, that level of uncertainty keeps us out of this stuff, man. So I think that's I think, a really good summary. That's um, it. I, it's something I've thought a ton about because my background is in startups and I love them. And, um, and I've seen so many deals. And so I often think like, how do I apply this investing in long-term companies to mm. short-term companies? And, uh, and I think everything you said, I agree with. It's really, it's not rule one style investing. It's not Buffett investing. It's, it's very, very different. You can still use, I think, those principles that you just mentioned. I think the way you went through them is, is just right, especially the way venture capitalists think about it is they look um, at moat and management the most. And obviously understanding the business is a massive prerequisite. Um, but it's all guesses still. And so the best ones always spread their money out because there's just no way to know what's going to happen, really. Even if somebody has a good idea, it might not work out and usually doesn't. So back when we uh, were doing it, I, it was when you were just a baby, we were doing venture capital and, and it was the old, the old saying was you're going to bet the jockey and not the horse. Did you guys feel that same way when you were looking when you or, or the venture capitalists feel that way when oh, you were yeah. working on deals? Yeah, one of the best venture capitalists in the U.S. His name's Brad Feld. He's in Boulder. Um, he writes or he used to. I think he's kind of fallen off of it, but he writes a great blog. If you Google him, Brad Feld, F-E-L-D. I think it's called like at like Feld.com or something close Didn't to his name. Mentor you to some degree? No, 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 no. We just knew each other. Like. Oh, um, yeah. But, um, oh God, what was I talking about with him? What were you just saying? Oh, the, the management, um, his, yeah, he's famous, he's yeah. famous for choosing people rather than ideas because he always says the idea is going to change. The plan is going to change. The entire business is most like, like he actually expects it that it's going to completely change. So he chooses people he trusts and famously does very, very quick deals with entrepreneurs who he's like, boom, you're somebody I'm in with. Let's sign some papers in an hour and get it done. And that's how he does business. Yeah. Um, not always, right? Like sometimes it's a long drawn out, but there are stories um, that he's written about where he's just been like, yeah, let's do it. And that's really unusual for venture capital. So um, and he's incredibly successful. So the thing is, you have to be really good at picking the people, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're saying it's unusual for venture capital, do you mean 
picking the jockey over the horse is unusual. Oh, no, no, no. Or how it's fast unusual to do a fast uh, ah, agreement right. like that with a venture capitalist. Usually it's like you go through layers of people and they're usually in big firms and you have to work right. through the whole thing and it takes a month or two months or something. But he, he um, pretty much just makes his own decisions and calls up his lawyer and says, get it done and they get it done. So well, it's, it's a fun business. If you, if you are interested in, in that early stage kinds of businesses, study what a really great company looks like to investors like Warren Buffett, and then build companies toward that goal. And if you're an entrepreneur, that's exactly the formula I would recommend. Yeah, totally. Look at, look at what Buffett wants to buy. What, what kind of businesses is he willing to take when they're in distress? And you're going to find that that is a really great business model. Uh, to build toward as an entrepreneur as well. Yeah. All right, honey, I think that's got to be it for you for today. Okay, let's, I have all these thoughts about startups now, but sure. Well, let's yes, pick, we, we should pick start. that up next time for next week. Take a week When rest. I'm thinking a little better. <laughs> I can and tell you all my thoughts about startups. Drink lots um, of water. Oh, well, actually just today, here's a funny one. I was just, I've been like using my, um, my smartwatch a lot as I've been ill to like track my heart rate and stress levels and stuff because it basically can tell you when you're sick. And, um... And I was just thinking about how um, Brad and Jason and the other guys at Foundry, Foundry is their firm in Boulder, um, invested in Fitbit like back in the day when nobody had ever heard of it. And I remember um, one of them telling me about it and I was like... Why? Because I'm an idiot. Like, I would be the worst early stage investor ever. So I was like, why would anybody want to wear something like that? Like, that sounds so (laughs) annoying. (laughs) Why would I want to know how many steps I take in a day? (laughs) And they, they, like, literally, I think it was Jason, like, looked me in the eye and was like, you're going to have one. One day soon, you're going to have one. And I was like, whatever. I mean, they just, they're very good at like picking these things that are up and coming, that are going to be the future and, uh, and which company to pick and look at Fitbit. It's up there with Garmin and Apple watch and competing still to this day, which is kind of amazing for a company that really started this whole wearable thing. So there's an aside anecdote from, uh, the startup world. All right. Um, until next time then, when maybe time I'll be you feeling to go rest. <laughs> time Definitely for your time phone for you to ring. go rest. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks everybody. Feel better. Bye. See you guys. Hi guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.